Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is the day to wake, work, and win. Welcome to The Standard. Craig, thank you for coming on the show. It's super exciting to have you. Our little green room session. Uh, you guys are in for a fucking treat today. So, And I already swore, so we're good. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, man. I've never done a live thing. So usually when we record, uh, there's a copious amounts of editing that has to happen. So I hope that I can live up to, uh, live up to your other guests. Oh man, I, no editing here, <laughs> but again, thank you for coming on. Well, we'll just roll right into some of these questions. So some context about you and, uh, where you come from, but, uh, first off is, um, what was your first exposure to the fire service? Probably not like most. I never really thought that this is anything that I would want to do. Um, I was going to University of Iowa and uh, I was trying to be like uh, in public relations because I thought that's what successful people would do. I grew up on the northern suburbs of Chicago and you'd see these like businessmen taking the train into the city every day. And I was like, oh man, like that's, that's what success looks like. What a weird thing to think like when you're a you know, a kid or adolescent. And, um, so that's what I was trying to do and really no direction at all. And my best friend, uh, and former guest Ross Chapman was working for a fire department. And he's like, dude, this is awesome. Like we're getting to do cool stuff. And I'm sitting in my dorm room. I think I was probably eating easy Mac. Uh, if I want to be totally honest. And I was like, what am I doing? Like why there's no direction here. So, I moved back to Illinois and started working for this department. And he's like, you should, he's pretty much guided my entire career to be honest with you. He's like, you should go to EMT school. And so we did, I did that. Then we went to medic school together and, um, we started testing. And at the time you would have thousands of people show up for these tests and they'd only give away a few spots. Uh, it's much different than it is now, where it seems like you can just kind of swing on by the firehouse and, you can start working, but yeah, I, I started to get kind of, uh, kind of down because of course Ross got hired by the first department that he ever tested for. Cause that's just the kind of incredible human being he is. And, um, yeah, I just kind of got, kind of got sick of testing and then got a job working for countryside, uh, fire. And I met my now wife, I should say reconnected with my now wife. And after we reconnected, I was like, I got to get out of here. Like, I need to get out of the state because I don't want to start laying roots down. So I quit my job, moved out to uh, to Denver with no job, which I don't suggest anybody does because it's incredibly stressful. And I uh, started working at a bar and was making good money. And I was like, I, I could probably just do this for a while. And one of the bartenders worked for Colorado Springs Fire. 
and he's like, Hey, they're doing a test. You should go test for them. I'm like, sure, man, I'll, I'll test. So I went down there, tested, got the job. And, uh, and I started working for the Springs. So I was with the Springs for six years, incredible experience. And that's kind of where I saw the difference between a firefighter and just, and like what a real fireman was. And his name was Jeremy Croto. And, uh, he was, I can't remember what he was. I think he was like looking up nozzles or something on the computer. And I was like, Hey man, like we have those, like the department gave us those, like, what are, what are you doing? He's like, no, these are way better. Cause of X, Y, and Z. And I started to realize like, Oh, there's a whole nother side to this that you could truly like, first of all, affect change, but become like integrated in your fire department to, to make it better. And so after that, I was kind of off to the races. And then six years in, I decided to uh, move to the department that I'm currently at. And I'd been trying to get there for eight years, just couldn't get in. So I came in as a lateral. I met Tom and some incredible people inside my academy. And I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I feel like I'm finally at my place. So kind of a roundabout way to get into the fire service. But I'd say like my career really started when I got to the Springs for sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, we were kind of talking before, I think everyone kind of goes through that. It's either I'm committing or I'm leaving, you know, in the course of their career. And ironically, my, my, my old man went through it and I, we didn't know, my brothers and I, we were kids and he was gonna go, uh, uh, where were they gonna go? I think Colorado, if I remember correct. Maybe we went to Denver, I don't remember. He ended up not doing it, but uh, it was- at it. It, yeah, like I think every firefighter goes through that. So it, it's it's interesting to hear people that take the plunge and people that, that don't. And um, there's all sorts of information why out do you, there. But. Why do you think people leave? So I think it's as cliche as it is, people, you know, they say people don't, uh, what is it? They, they quit bosses, not places. Or I don't remember the exact phrase, and sorry that I'm not eloquent with that. But I think that's truly it. I think people... Either they're looking for a different environment, or or they're looking for more leadership. At least in our uh, you know profession, or or like they just don't fit in somewhere, and they and they feel like maybe they'll fit somewhere else. But I, I think it's personal. But I think everyone does go through that, like in one way or another, because you're locked into a place for thirty years. Like that's a huge commitment. If not, then you need to either make the decision early, or like there's a window for, for when it's not going to make sense either, like financially, I guess, but I don't know. Well, even financially, I mean, I took a huge pay cut to go from a first grade firefighter down to probation, but I think people leave because they want to feel like they're making a difference. And when you feel like you cannot add value to a place, um, based on, you know, whether it's the organization itself or the people that you're surrounded by, I mean, that's when you leave. The department at now has gone through quite a transition in a relatively short amount of time with our new chief who's lights out. This guy's awesome. But when you just keep hitting more roadblocks and more roadblocks, yeah, it's kind of tough to to stick around because, you know, people want to make the places better. Yeah. Like that's that's what we want to do. And, and when you feel like you can't based on like the how your system is set up, I that gets pretty frustrating. And I think that's why most people leave. But when to do that's a tough one. And right, and I think that's so deeply personal, right? Like if you listen to other, like um, Isaacson is uh, Ike is uh, 
basically big on like if you're even remotely not happy where you're at, leave. Well, like I don't know if I agree with that. Right, I feel uh, like that's a little extreme sometimes, but I think the the grass is greener where you water it, right? Yeah. Um, if someone shuts off your hose, it's a little tough to <laughs> it's a little tough to make change. But I mean, honestly, the the real answer is if you if you want to be that change maker, promote. Yeah. Promote and get into that spot. And if you're new in an organization and you're frustrated, all the people that are in your way are going to leave before you do. So do you want to stick it out? Like that's that's the other question. I think the the other piece of the puzzle is how is your life outside the firehouse? Is it great outside the firehouse? Then stay. Like if everything if if you work 11 days a month and every other day is amazing, then you should stay, wait out the the people who are causing you problems and then when it's time, get after it. Like go out and attack. And then concentrate on your four walls. Like, okay, let's say I can't make a difference. We're, we're, let's say we're pulling flat loads forever and I just really want to use this minute man. Then in your own four walls, train everybody like that. Do what you can in your house. It, it, the problem is, is that people get discouraged and they just, they're not motivated anymore. But I'm gonna, an instructor out at our academy right now and I have not seen anyone come through there who's grumpy or crabby like we do that to our people no one comes into this job thinking they want to suck but you know the bureaucracy of a lot of things tend to tend to kick that out of us so you know i don't, I don't have the answer but that was at least mine no I, I i agree and it's really easy and we all do it at, at, at some point or another right where you're you're trying to rationalize what's happening and sometimes you're you're looking at putting blame on others or my, hey my chief won't let me do this or you know these guys aren't listening to me, or you know something of that nature, and you're 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 kind of projecting it outward when, like, what I've known, and I'm, I can't get too much into my own organization, but what I've found is when when people kind of push back, they only push back for a little bit, and then they go and do something else because really it's not, uh, the, they're afraid of that change or whatever. But then they're not if they were invested, they would understand the change and they would get involved with it more than likely. And so once they kind of just get out of the way and go back to being grumpy again, you just hit them with another wave and, and try again. And usually, I mean, you might beat your head against the wall a couple times, but you can find success if you're that squeaky wheel at some point. It's not always going to happen, but I, I could you say definitely from be my the... experience, it's happened for with a lot of things with me at work. You want to be the squeaky wheel, but you don't want to sound annoying like a whining child, right? Like, oh, this place stinks and yeah. they never listen to my ideas and all. Well, of course not because you're acting like that. Like whatever you came up with, whether it was a good idea, you clearly brought it up in the wrong way. Like you need to figure out a way to say it the way they need to hear it. And don't complain to anybody. Maybe you complain to like your best buds. Like, man, I'm really struggling with this. But if you start complaining every day, people are going to stop listening to you. Stay positive. Find another way around. I'm with you. I, I think uh, you're in control of your own destiny. And we can talk about this later because I think it's a good talking point and I didn't have it in the list. And, and uh, I, I, I heard you on another podcast and you were talking about choice. And it's something that my dad has pushed on me too is we choose to be good. We choose to be great firemen. We choose to be great husbands. We choose to be great fathers. Everything's a choice. 
So I, I, I'm going to put a pin in that, and I think we can talk about that later after we kind of get into the meat of things. But uh, that resonates with me, like that you're in control of your own destiny. So where did you pick up learning about values and, and firefighter culture? Because it seems you have a grasp, obviously, on what, what firefighters are supposed to be, right? Where did you pick some of that stuff up along the way and how? I think you are who you surround yourselves with. And I've just been lucky enough to be surrounded by incredible people, not only just firefighters, but um, just incredible human beings in general. And I think that when you can understand that how you operate at home is way more important than how you operate at the firehouse. And Tom talks about it all the time. He's like, you can't be an effective team member if you're a dumpster fire at home. Like you, you have to have your whole world basically forged by this set of values, right? We have mission statements. We have value statements in our, in our organizations and we need to have those for ourselves. And so I think like having a personal mission statement, um, is, is super helpful to be able to have this like filter to run decisions through. And so I think that, when you find the type of people that you want to be like that's when you start to succeed because then you have this almost like a mirror to look into and say hey i'm about to make these few choices how has it looked for that person or would this person who i really respect would would they do this thing that i'm about to do and the the lines should be pretty blurry with like how you operate at uh at home and at work Right. They should be relatively the same. And so I think once you start to figure that out, like the job's pretty easy. And so getting around people that consistently want to get better, they consistently push themselves. That's where I found like the most value in my life. And then finding mentors in different uh, aspects of life. So I have mentors that I really respect the way they deal with their family. And then I have other mentors who I'm like, oh, this person, like Ross is a great example. Ross and I, you know, once a year we'll go out and do something called like a Masogi. Are you familiar with that at all? Yeah, he talked about it on the on his episode and uh, it was the first time I'd heard that concept. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So we had uh, an author, his name's Michael Easter, and he wrote uh, the book called The Comfort Crisis. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where he talked about it. And, you know, it's an opportunity for you to. Uh, like have a self reevaluation, kind of see what you're all about. And, you know, like I, Ross brought that to me, right? Like I, I would never had that in my life before he brought that to me. So I think finding those people in your life that you respect, that you want to be like, you're probably not going to find this person who's encompassing all these aspects that they're absolutely crushing, but take a little bit from all these folks and seek out mentors and I've, I've straight up, and even recently, like last week, I reached out to someone. I was like, hey, I, I'm, I'm hitching my wagon to you. This is my plan. Walk me through how you would do it different. And like, this is my ultimate goal. So, you know, trying to find those people who are just doing it better than you are and <laughs> start grabbing onto some coattails, man. That's what I've been doing my whole life. So you teach their new hire academy. Is there, um, do you guys build anything in there in terms of establishing good habits now or, you know, career planning in that way where they're thinking about, you know, years later, or you try to stay in the present? 
It's a good question. I think that so I give like a I guess a new guy talk and I I basically tell them to find a backstep. And to me, a, a real backstep, right, is someone who basically runs the entire firehouse. In in my eyes, the officer's job is to get out of the way and like allow those people to run that house and I will facilitate that. Um, but you know, that, that's kind of your gig. And so find that person and try and emulate the things that they're doing. The hardest part is when you don't have one because they're pretty rare, right? The, the, and that's why I don't like the term senior man, like tenure isn't talent. Like, I don't care how long you've been there. If, if you don't have the skills to pay the bills, like I'd, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. So um, I think focusing on if you focus on what's important, right, which is being ready for them, for the people that we serve, the job's pretty easy. Train every single day, right? Like find holes in your game and and train every single day. That is the easiest way to stay engaged. The hardest part is that three to five year employee, right? That's when you start to. Uh, lose a little bit of that fire and those are the those are the people that are hard to get back um but it's not impossible right have you uh are you familiar with that dunning kruger effect uh i'm not sure so basically goes like this it's a graph that starts here at the baseline it goes up and then takes a dip down and then it's kind of a choose your own adventure on on what you want to do after that okay but basically it is you have the most amount of confidence and the least amount of experience at the very peak of that. And then something bad happens, right? You have, you do a bet, you do pour on a fire or you're exposed. That peak is where that, those three to five year folks are. And after that bad thing happens, you have an option, right? You can either say, Hey, I learned from it. Now I'm going to keep going back up. Apparently I wasn't as good as I thought I was. That's where, we need to get those people back because if you don't what they'll do is they'll buy a leather helmet and they'll sit on the tail or the tailboard and they'll look at the new people doing all the work right because they don't want to be exposed to gigs it hurts it's very uncomfortable and so i think what we do really well in our academy is we take the fear of failure away and we make it like not so scary and so i think or what i hope we're doing is we're hoping that we train them how to how to fail and do it correctly. And I think that will set them up for their career. At least I hope we're doing that. I don't know. No, I mean, it sounds like that's becoming more normal, I think, for, for probationary periods or for new hires of, of actually setting them up to, to be prepared for that stuff. Hey, you're going to mess up. Hey, you can recover from it. Hey, not everyone's going to be into the job like that. I think that's probably one of the hardest transitions for young firefighters. When you go to a fire academy or something, you're around people that are into it. And then, you know, once you kind of get out of that and, and, the, and the water wings come off and you're there, now you have a decision to make. And I, 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 that's a cool concept of that three to five year. That, I mean, that hits the nail. And I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about other people I've known that, yeah, that's, that's a very common. And it's not just all. It's not just our industry, it's no. all industries, right? Like it's, um, so if we can teach our new folks that failure is okay, failure is good, that means you learn something and not to, hey, when you fail, we're just gonna hammer you and keep hammering you. Like that's when you lose those folks 
And so I think what we do in our academy better than most is create an environment where not only is that okay, but it's expected. Like if you don't come out here and fail, you're not trying hard enough. And that is unacceptable to us. We want two things. We want great attitude and a hundred percent effort. If you can give us those two things, we will help you get a 30 year career. Like that's all we ask because we'll train you. That's our job. But if you, uh, if you can come, if you come in with a bad attitude or you're only giving us 50%, it's not, it's not good enough for our city. You know, our citizens deserve better. So everyone has like a journey that they go through for fitness, for mental health, for all that. Right. And you have to learn those things along the way and, uh, finding out what works for you. So could you share some insight on, you know, how you found where you're at and, and your mindset that you've, you've developed and, and, in fitness and in life and in health and, you know, what works for you. And then, you know, when other people, cause obviously with the standard, you're helping other people. Um, how do you help other people find what works for them? It's a great question. Um, so I'll tell the story. If anyone's taken our class, they've heard this. So my apologies, but, uh, you know, back in the Midwest, right. You call big kids Husky, right? I was a Husky kid. And so, um, I went to, uh, to a Catholic school and like you wear a uniform, right? Uh, ours was a white polo shirt and like blue slacks. And so we were, we went to Sears cause that's where you shopped back in the day. Yeah. Um, Gurney, Gurney Mills. Remember that? They did have one. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so nice being around Midwest people. I know they you get can... me. I had, they get me. Yep. Yeah, you just, you can name them and I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we go, we go shopping and I couldn't find any pants that fit me. So I had to wear sweatpants to Catholic school. And so, you know, if you're picturing that, like that's kind of how I grew up. Right. So I was kind of like the funny fat kid and I kind of just thought like that was my role. And then I was at countryside and me and my officer decided to uh, to have an Oreo eating contest because I was convinced that I liked Oreos more than he did. Okay, so we get four packs. Okay, not double stuffs. We're not animals. We just got normal, and uh, we start going, dude. We go row for row. I finish my one pack and I start the next, and I'm hurting. So I get like a pack and a half down. All right, and I'm like curled up on the recliner. He finishes his and mine. Dude is a savage. So the next day, I go down to my then girlfriend, now wife. We lived in the city. And uh, I start telling her the story. And I was expecting to, she'd be like rolling on the floor laughing at, at how amazing this was. And uh, she kind of like looked at me and she's like, like, is this what you want? Like, do you want to be like the funny fat guy? And it like stopped me in my tracks because she saw something in me that I didn't, right? She was and is an incredibly in, in talented athlete, like one of the people that just is good at whatever she does. And it's not like it's innate, like she works hard. Um, but I just, I was never that person. And I thought that people like her were like unicorns. Right. Like they just have been given this like God given talent for everything that they do. And um, it, it was shortly after that where I was like, you know, I'm going to make a change. Right. Like I'm, I'm I got to figure this out because like I don't want to be this. I want to write my own story. 
And so I was probably like, I think at my heaviest, I was like 260 and not the good 260. Um, and so I was like, well, what does Ross do? Right? Like Ross is one of the most in shape people I know. I mean, he's a runner. I'm like, I'll be a runner. So I go to the, uh, to the shoe store and I get like these Saucony Canvaras. Like they were like $200 <laughs> and I'm like, well, I need those. Right. So I go out for my first run and I get like 200 yards in and I get horrible shin splints and I'm like, Oh, it's the shoes, man. It's there's, so I go back, I get a new pair, same thing happens. And the guy at the shoe store is like loving it. Cause he's like, yeah, I'll sell you whatever yeah, you want. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, you know, it took a, it took a few rounds of that to be like, all right, I got to make a big change. So that kind of started that, um, that journey, but like, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't really know like what that looked like. I didn't understand the relationship between food and, uh, and fitness. I thought I could just, you know, go out and drink and do whatever I was living. I was living downtown, like getting after it. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it just kind of got away from me. And it probably wasn't until I moved out to Colorado that uh, I started to like really get serious about it. And then, you know, like I, I did a few races, nothing serious, but as you know, as the years passed, the adventures got a little bit bigger. And so Ross asked me to do a 60 mile race in Wisconsin in like the middle of January. And I was like, okay, man, like I've never run that far. Like, I don't know, like, let's, let's do this. And that was probably like our first Misogi. And I get done with the race and I'm like, this is it, dude. Like, I want to see how far I can take this thing. And so after that, I just kind of started eating better. And, um, there was a period where I went on a pretty serious diet, which probably wasn't the most, maybe it was healthy, but you know, I basically ate a chicken breast every two hours for two months. That was all I ate. And I, I, I got down to 172 pounds. And so, you know, like I, I feel like I got a little bit more control of my life after that. And then ever since it's just been trying to find out those things that I enjoy, uh, that I enjoy doing, which is, is I do enjoy long distance running. And then recently, uh, I've, I'm getting close to 40 and I'm trying to transition a little bit more into making sure that I have more muscle mass than I had in the past. And so like that journey is now moving. I think to answer your question, like what would I tell other people is like, first of all, you need to find out what your why is because if, you know, like when, when you come up to January, everybody's got a why, right? Their why is like, ah, oh, you know, first of the year, I want to lose some weight and the gyms are packed. And then a few months later, they're empty again because your why sucked. Your why was short. Okay. You have kids, right? Yeah. Okay. That's my why. Yeah. yeah. I want to make sure that not only can I do everything that they want to do. Okay. I want to show them what a man should be. Like that is my job, right? As a father, we're training our replacement. Basically, that's how I see it. And so like, what do I want my replacement to know? I want them to know how to be kind to people. I want them to know how to be strong. I want him to know how to be able to navigate life. Like those are pretty big whys. And so when my alarm goes off, 
way too early and I go and uh, do a cold plunge in the morning and then I head off to work and work out and do those types of things. Like if, the, if your kids can't get you out of bed, the thought of your kid uh, losing their father earlier than, than you should, you got a fucking problem, right? Like that should be enough to completely change your world. Uh, and the other thing is like, I, it's, it's my job as a husband to make sure that I can protect my wife. So like all those things, those are the whys you need to find. And then, you know, you'll figure it out. You'll figure out that eating all this processed bullshit's not good for you. And you'll figure out like, Hey, you know, I really enjoy this one type of exercise. Just do that. Just, and then, and then it all starts to compound. But if your goal is to like get ready for beach season, I don't know. I, it didn't work for me. Maybe it'll work for you, but you know, you gotta, you gotta nail down like why you're doing this thing. Well, yeah, I think that goals like that just are, you know, surface value. And then once that's gone, that's it. It's, you didn't change it. So like, I, I just kind of went through some of this. I wasn't super disciplined with food for a long time. And, and like, I've, I've equated it now to like a maturity and you talk about becoming a father, like it puts things in perspective, right? Like I was always into the job and training and that, but once I had kids, it was, it, it's so much more, right? So, so now it's, now I got to be really good. So I go home and I got to be in great shape. So I go home and you know, you got to be an example for them. Like you're hitting the nail right on the head. And, uh, but it goes, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, right? The lines blur between work and home yeah. like really easily once you figure out what those whys are. So let's take what you said about uh, being good being good at the job, right? We see this all of the time at conferences, right? Clearly you're into the job because you're at a conference. Sure. And you throw ladders and you can you know, do all this other sorts of stuff. Well, our department was just on a fire for 18 hours straight putting in work. Yeah. Okay, if you're into the job, are you ready for that call? Because if you're ready for a two-hour single-family home fire and you've only ever put two bottles of work in, you ain't ready. And you're not into the job. Like, I know that's a hard fact to swallow. But, like, if you go out and you train a little bit during the day, like maybe going to the gym every now and again, but – you're not consistently trying to push yourself to your max all the time. You're not into the job, right? Like when, when I walk into a station as a Lieutenant, I want my people to be like, we're going home tomorrow. And so when I'm at, when I'm at home, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about like, what can I do today to make sure that when I walk into the station that next time, that crew feels like they're going home because they all they all said that they would die for this job, right? Myself included. So I don't work for them and they don't work for me. I work for their families and they work for my family. And so like that's how big this thing is. Like that's how important this thing is. And so um, I think it's very easy to say you're into the job. But like the people who I've met who really are. It's it's all consuming. It's all interconnected into how you do things at home reflect how you want to operate at work, which is tough. It's like not an easy uh, – it's it's pretty simple, but it's not an easy way to, 
to like go about things. Yeah, and, and yeah. I'm lucky. I'm lucky enough to have found a lot of people who uh, who agree with me, and so it's been nice to be able to, you know, not feel like such a freak all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get it. You're right. Yeah, because uh, like I said, I I thought I I took. I mean, I I got started when I was 20, and you take a lot of that stuff for granted. You think like. Yeah, I, I love the fire service. I really did. But I didn't take that stuff that seriously then. I, and, like, I, I love the way you're phrasing it. Like, yeah, if you're into the job, be into the everything. You have to have all of that. It's not just, you know, just get to pick and choose. You got to be the whole package. And there's maturity that comes with that and discipline that comes with that. And I, I sit here. I'm not perfect with it every day. And I'm always trying to, you know, live up to that and, and remember that that's what I'm there for. And that's what keeps me accountable to it. And like it's it like you said, I'm not I'm not like that every day. And it's like yeah, stuff happens. Life happens. Like you can't you know I'm not going on 20 mile rucks every single day to get ready for the job. I have kids. I have a family. I have a business. I've you know, um, but it's like if that's your base level, if you have a down day, guess what tomorrow is? It's probably not going to be that because that's your baseline. So. That's the other thing. Like you can't really get discouraged if stuff's not going your way. Like if things aren't going right or you're not making the gains that, you know, you, you've been making or you're with a shitty crew or you're a department you don't like, that's okay. Don't get discouraged because you're, you have that baseline now and now you know what that should feel like. And like that is the key to making this, you know, have some longevity. Yeah, and, and dude, that's in everything. I, you know, what's funny is at echoing what you're saying of just, you know, general, like the mindset that they have. I remember taking uh, Nozzle Forward and they talk about the, 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 I don't know if you've taken it, but they talk about like the different forms that you're into, right? And, and about like basically a default. And, and they'll come out and they'll say, hey, we understand that you can't always be in that default when, you know, hoarding conditions or whatever it might be, but you know that you're not in it. So you know you need to get your way back to that default. And I love that parallel, right? That's that's exactly it. That's it, man. Like I we would all like to be pulling, you know, two and a half on smooth concrete like we do in that class, but uh it's probably not gonna happen that way. Yeah. And so but you have to give yourself some sort of standard, i.e. the name of our company, um, that you can find your way back to, you know, and if you feel like you don't have one yet, that's okay. Like give yourself a little bit of grace and like go find it yeah. or make it yourself. So the back step, the book you guys wrote together, mindset, the book you guys wrote yep. together. I can't find my back step because I gave it to a back step and it's gone, which I guess is a good thing. So hopefully he's passed. I'll get you. I'll get people. you a couple. More. Yeah. I'll get you a couple. I would love to to pass those around again yeah, for so, sure so sidebar i wasn't much of a reader and that's the first like book that i sat down and read because because of i think i've heard you say it before it's 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 small and it's to the point and it didn't seem like this big like oh my god i gotta read this huge book and it totally like changed and got me into reading and it was a great way for me to get started that's why i've i passed it out to other new guys at work for that same concept so Really cool that you guys did that and, and how you did it. I think that it's a very approachable and, and incredibly relevant book. So with that, I wanted to kind of touch a little bit on some of that. But we're talking about leadership. 
And the difference between, you know, being in the front seat and being the back step about and, – and you could take this either way. It's not a loaded question by any means. The difference between the two or if there isn't a difference between the two. Uh, but but kind of talking about the duality between back step and uh, officer. Yeah, I think if I had to break it down into the uh, most basic level, the back step is all gas and the uh, officer has access to a brake. So I think the the back step is the most important and probably the most influential person on that rig. In in a good or bad way, you are influencing in a good or bad way regardless of whether you want to or not because they are the informal leader. And you know, if you in my opinion if you weren't a good firefighter, you're probably not going to be a good officer. And if you weren't a good officer, you're probably not going to be a very good chief. I haven't seen too many people. And there are exceptions. There are some exceptions where like, listen, that the tactile nature of this job was not for me, but I know how to take care of people. I've seen it. It's pretty rare. But moving up to because I'm a really new officer moving up into that position I think you get a realization of what it is to take care of your people, right? Like, I think that's everyone's goal, right? I want to take care of my people. Like, what does that really mean? Okay. Because there are some officers who quote unquote, take care of their people and they let them sit in the chairs all day. And you think that you're serving them, but you're really serving yourself, but you can rest on your laurels and say, Hey, I don't make my guys get in their uniforms. I'm taking care of them. Are you like we, we told our, we raised our hand. We took an oath in front of a judge that we're going to operate in X, Y, Z manner. So if you're letting your guys think that it's okay the way they're acting, not training, looking like shit, eating like crap in the firehouse, like allowing them to haze the new, the new person, are you really taking care of your guys? Like, I don't think so. So I think that like, that's the key to that transition is yeah if you if you've done your due diligence in the back seat you know how to do the job right the next step is how can you take care of your people and how can you take care of your people so everyone's on board for the mission cuz that's really taking care of them cuz if you're taking care of them they're going home tomorrow morning that's the balance that you have to find is how can i make sure that my guys feel like they're being heard that I'm helping them with their career that I'm that I'm giving them their best shot of going home in the morning like that's now this bigger piece that you need to figure out you hear people say that all the time and it's not exclusive to anyone's department where you know take, taking care of of their guys is those is like you're saying allowing them to kind of be lazy or take the foot off the gas or forget what we're here for and yeah Dude, there's no point in me talking about it. You said everything that needed to be said. It's, you're, it's not you're easy right on. though, right? No. It's not. But here's the thing. If you feel like you want to promote one day, you better start doing that stuff now. Because if you think, man, once I promote, I'm going to start making a difference. If you're not making a difference in the back seat, you ain't making a difference in the front seat. Because you have way more to deal with than what you did in the back. So like, you're in the best position when you have no formal leadership like make your mistakes back there right like make your bad choices back there so that when you get up into the front seat you got some real consequences to deal with and then the other thing that's tough is 
let's say you've talked big game, right? Let's say I'm like, oh, you know, backstep and I've been doing all this and then I get promoted and then I allow substandard performance at my station. Well, now, now I've lost all my credibility. So now, now it's like, I don't necessarily, and I'm not here to be anyone's friend. I have a lot of friends. I'm, I'm, I have the ones that I need. That's the other part is you're not there to be their buddy. Your job as an officer is to make sure that the saves that can can be saved, that, that those happen and that your crew goes home to their families. And you might have to make some pretty uncomfortable situ- or, uh, conversations along that road. Um, and are you ready for those? And do you have the credibility when you sit someone down and say, hey, your performance is substandard? Well, you can't do that if you can't throw a ladder by yourself or you can't make the stretch or if, you know, you mask up in a minute and you're like, hey, you know, you got to work on that. Like, oh, do I? Well, so do you. And the best way to, to gain that credibility is by training with your people. If you're the officer, you are the first person doing the training, like whatever it is, you have to be the first one. You have to show them what that standard is and you also have to show them that it's okay to fail like hey i'm gonna try this ladder throw and if i drop this thing no factor right i'm giving you all of the freedom to screw this thing up like no one should be afraid of that and those are tough those are tough things to do as a leader